we've got a interactive time. Let's all stand. We're going to share with each other a simple answer to a question that's quite difficult. Okay, so everybody stand. Stand up. I want you to talk to at least three people and tell them this. Why do you give to the church? Why do you give to the church? Tell them. Why, why do you give to the church? You don't have to tell everybody about everything. We, we weren't supposed to get into dollar figures and exactly how much and your check's bigger than my check and those kind of things. We don't do that. Hey, we're starting a new series. should be pretty obvious. We finished up on Colossians as we were dealing with some of the issues in relationship uh, to understanding who Jesus is, how he works in our life, the freedom we have in him, and the desire for him to work powerfully uh, inside out in terms of our life and our responsiveness one to another, that we no longer respond to do good because we have to, but we do it because it's who we are. It's the response of the Spirit living in us and working through us, and we find ourselves doing that more and more and more as we continue to grow. Uh, today, what we want to talk about is an area that I consider so essential in your life, especially you younger couples, some of you older ones. If you haven't got this one yet, then you are suffering, and I'm sorry for you, but you can still start even this week in understanding how to deal with your finances it is so incredibly important that you get a handle on this because if you don't, you will struggle throughout your life until the day you die. Is that pretty strong? Yeah, that's, this is such a big, big area. In fact, Jesus speaks more to this area than he does to prayer. He speaks more to this area than he does to faith. Jesus is so aware of your desperate need to yield to God in here that he just beats up on this area of life more than any other area that he speaks to. In Matthew chapter 6, which is the primary section, in fact, if you were to say, Pastor, what area should I look at in relationship to understanding the primary aspects of finances? I'd say, well, you're going to need to go to Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus begins with an understanding of the struggle in our life in relationship to greed. Within this particular chapter, he starts out talking about issues that are hard to understand because he says things like, there's a light within you, and if that light is quenched, how great is that darkness? And just in front of it, he's talking about the issue of finance. Say, what is he talking about? That particular section is speaking to the area not so much of darkness. The word translated darkness would better be translated generosity or greed. And you need to switch the words there for generosity and greed. In fact, most times the term is used for generous. If your eye is generous, then you'll find that the light will expand in your life. But if your eye is greedy or dark, then how great will be that darkness within you? It's going to evade all the other areas of your life. He continues on down, and he finishes with this interesting finale. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Read that with me. We're going to read it together. You ready? Okay. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, he doesn't say you may not, you should not. He says you what? Cannot. 
You can't do it. You will either serve God or you will serve money. And there's a distinctive clarification of that in your life. If you are serving God, then you will find that generosity is a natural aspect of your life and God will bless you on a regular, consistent basis. If you choose to serve money, you will constantly be enslaved in that service. Let's watch this fun clip called Money Rant. Notice the flip there. You see, the struggle that takes place in our life is that many of us are in financial bondage. We're in financial bondage. Instead of enjoying all that God has provided for us, we're either trying desperately to keep it for ourselves, or trying desperately to keep it from everybody else. And God is trying to speak to us in relationship to this issue and saying, you need to learn. No, you need to be changed. You need to be completely transformed into a person of generosity. And only God can do that with your heart and your life. Only he can do it. Because it's not a matter of giving. It's a matter of responding in the manner that God wants you to respond. Many of you find yourself in financial bondage. Let me give you, for instance, some of you are thinking, man, pastor, I'd love to give 10% of what God trusts me back to him, but I just don't think I can do it. Or I'd love to give beyond that, but, but I can't because it won't be enough money to pay my bills. And that is called bondage. It's called bondage. It's the love of money with no love coming back. It's the love of money with no love coming back. Have you ever felt like God was calling you to do something? And you said, I would really like to go to, and you fill in the blank, on this mission thing, on this. And I would accept that. I can't because I don't have what? I don't have enough money. Oh, really? I have heard that so many times from people. In fact, I've used it myself. I said, you know, Lord, I love to go, but I don't have enough money. That is financial bondage. A young couple gets married. They want to start a family. But they turn to me and say, we really would like to have children, but we just don't have enough money. Yeah. And so, therefore, we're going we're, we're gonna to wait, and maybe someday we're going to be able to do this. Or we really believe children are a blessing from the Lord, but we just can't afford the blessing. Oh. Oh, interesting. Interesting concept right there, but that's bondage. It's bondage. We have two kids, and we'd love to have three, but we can't because we just don't have enough money. It's bondage. That is not a response that God desires to take place in our life. People say, well, my wife would give anything to be at home with the kids, but she just can't. She has to work. We both have to work. We don't have a choice. It's bondage. It's bondage. It may be true. It may not be true, but it doesn't have to continue to be true. God does not want us to be in bondage to money. You see, loving money is both painful and expensive. It's very, very expensive. Jesus said, your heart will be, say this out loud, where your treasure is. Your heart will be what? Where your treasure is. Now, some of you say, oh, no, he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And I go, yeah. That's exactly what he said, and you're trying to misunderstand it. He's telling you clearly, take a look at your treasure, and I'll tell you, that's where your heart's at. Where's your treasure at? He said, you're supposed to have your treasure in heaven, not here on earth. Your focus is to be on heaven. You're supposed to be sending stuff away 
to be prepared for that day and time in which God brings you home. You see, we want our hearts, I don't want my heart, to be in heaven, not on earth. Because when my heart's in heaven, then I find myself giving generously and never being concerned about how things are going to take place. Because God will always provide in a variety of ways for those who are following his directive in their life. I just read just the other day, the average American spends $1.22 for every dollar they earn. Now, as my sailing friends would say, that boat won't float very long. Or as my hunting friends would say, that dog won't hunt. That dog won't hunt. And I said, absolutely. See, that's the struggle in our life. And our struggle is this. If you are doing that in your life, then your heart is not in heaven. Your heart is here on the earth. We live in one of the most prosperous countries in the earth, and we find ourselves unable to deal with the struggle and the question of money because of lack of faith in our life. You see, the number one truth that Jesus is trying to teach us in all these different things is this. You may love your money, but it will never love you back. Okay? You may love your money, it will never love you back. Tell the person next to you and say, you may love your money, but it'll never love you back. Yeah. And you got it, folks. You see, we bought into a variety of lies. Number one lie in America, number one lie in America, I call it the owning lies, and that's this. You deserve it. You deserve it. Let me tell you what you deserve. You deserve nothing. You deserve nothing. I don't deserve anything. God says, I give to you, I provide for you, but you don't deserve it. And when we begin to understand that truth, it starts to work. The challenge goes on now. Your kids turn 25, and they think that they should have a house as big as yours and a car that's nicer than yours because that's just the way it is. And they should have more clothes that cost more than you have despite the fact that it's taken you 30-plus years to get to the place you're at. What's happening? They're buying into the lies that are taking place here that you can just continue to leverage yourself out the yin-yang to live like your parents, and it's okay because that's how you can enjoy Life, that's how you'll be happy. I know people, I literally know people this, they think they'll never be happy if they don't have a flat screen, 40-inch HD television. Some say, no, it's got to be a 60. No, it's got to be an 80. You know, because it keeps going on and on, and they literally believe that. I won't be happy if I don't have an Xbox 360. I won't be happy if I don't have a BMW. I won't be happy, and once they get it, are they happy? No. And as parents, we should be sharing that with our kids. Hey, guess what? When I get more stuff, it doesn't make me happy. I just got more stuff. They're like, huh? If you are living a life of generosity, your kids will look at you and they'll say this. You're crazy. That's what they'll say. They'll say, you're crazy. Why are you doing that? Why are you giving all this money to the church? Why are you giving this money to this area here? Why are you giving all this money to that whole thing here? You could give it to me. My kids have said that, by the way. <laughs> Dad, you give too much money. Mom, you give too much money. Really? 
Yeah, you worked hard. I don't think so. But you're giving too much. I said, what are you talking about? You don't understand the principle of generosity. You don't understand who owns everything. I don't need a new car. I don't need a new iPhone. I got one. You know, I got got a nice iPhone here. I wanted to make sure I turned it off. Actually, that's why I did this. Okay. Yeah, it's off. That's that's the old one. My son says, Dad, that's the old one. You need the five. And then you can fill in the S, G, whatever it is now. I go, are you kidding me? Got to have it. If I don't, then I won't be what? Yeah, I won't be happy. I won't be cool. I won't have it all together. The American society has done a marvelous job in marketing debt in such a way that they've convinced you, a generation of people, to feel good about being in bondage. We feel good about seeing that cell phone bill at the end of the month. You know, we feel good about having that car payment at the end of the month. I go, what are you talking about? Well, if I didn't, then I wouldn't have this marvelous fill in the blank. I go, what, what, what's happened to you? You're saying God takes care of me in so many ways. Really? Yeah. Just the other day, I got a credit card in the mail. I want to tell you something. God didn't send the credit card. Okay. You can say, who did? You figure it out. You figure it out. The struggle we find ourselves going in is we don't understand that God desires for us to be released from financial bondage. That when we love God instead of money, He releases us from financial bondage and provides for us in such a way that we're able to be generous people. You see, your money will never love you, no matter how much you love it. Today I want to talk about two simple expectations God has for you in relationship to your finances. There's only two. Now, I've been at this for a long, long time now. There's only two expectations God has for you in relationship to your finances. Love you breathing a sigh of relief. Whew. I was worried it's going to be a long one. No, no, no. Just two. The first one is this. Number one. Are you ready? Number one thing God wants you to understand. Okay, that's this. God owns it all, and you're the manager of his business. It's the number one thing. God says, I own it all, but you're the manager of my business. God gives each one of you the opportunity to be a manager for his business. Some of you say, well, I've I've got a business. You know, I've got a business. Let me tell you this. All of you have a business. Every one of you have a business. And God has put you in charge of that business. Jesus taught this over and over and over again. But two specific parables, he talks about this. Number one expectation that God is in charge of of your finances must be. The first is the parable of the shrewd manager. It's this weird story. The first time I read it, I went, what are you talking about? Here's how it goes. Jesus told his disciples there was accused of wasting. A manager was accused of wasting his possessions. And the owner calls him in and he says, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. And the manager said to himself, what am I going to do? My master's taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. When I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. I know exactly what I need to do. So he began to call in each one of his master's debtors. And he asked the first one, how much do you owe my master? And he said, well, 800 gallons of olive oil. And the manager says, just take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 400. Oh, cool. So he did. And he asked the second one, how much do you owe? He says, a thousand bushels of wheat. He said, 
take your bill and make it 800 bushels, bushels a week. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, and here's the principle, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. You'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, remember, only relationships last forever. And so that's what he's talking about. Only relationships last forever. Relationships continue on to eternity. When we die and get rid of this body here, we gain a new one, and our relationships continue. So some of you think you're getting rid of that person. Probably not. Yeah. yeah. Guys, why don't you turn to your spouse, your friend section, and say, I'm going to be with you forever. Okay? Yeah. Ah! Forever? Forever, as they put it there. Jesus said, you need to make friends with your money. He said the guy was wasting his money. Now, easy enough, he didn't say he stole his money. He didn't say he did a bad job. He said he was wasting his money. And when he said he wasn't wasting his money is when he did what? He made friends with it. Because, you see, the manager wanted him to be making friends with his money all along. The owner wanted the manager to be making friends all along with his money. I want people to be made friends with the money. I'm not trying to get you to make more money. I'm trying to get you to use my money to make friends with. God gives us all kinds of money. And he says, if you make friends with the money that I give you, I'll give you more. If you don't, I'll give you less. In fact, I'll remove you from your management position. Smart guy. Jesus says, this guy was so smart at the end, understanding how important it is that we use our money to build relationships. And he ends with our primary verse, if you continue on with that, that we use today. And that is, you cannot serve God and what? Money. We're kind of going, you mean he's saying, yes, that's exactly what he's saying, that when we serve God, we use our finances to build friendships. Second parable. It's found in Matthew 25. Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. I'm not going to read this one. Simply goes like this. There's a group of guys put together that the king turned to, and he gave each of them different talents according to their ability. One he gave 10, one he gave 5, one he gave 3, one he gave 1. Each one of them went out. They took the money and said they invested it. That's why I call this the parable of the shrewd brokers. They invested their money. He said the result of that investment, the first guy come back and said, Lord, you gave me 10, here's 10 more. The Lord says, good job, well done. Great, great job. I'm going to put you in charge of all kinds of things. Turn to the next guy who did five. He said, Lord, you gave me five. I made five more. He said, great job, good investing. Next one, three. He made three more. Good job, great investing. All got high fives. Everybody's excited. And the last guy, he said, gave one to you. He said, Lord, I knew that you were tough. You were tough in relationship to finances. I was really scared about using this. So I dug a hole and I put it in it. And here it is back to you just like you gave to me. Yeah, and God said, you no good, terrible, rotten, mean, despicable. He's not using those exact words, but some worse ones in actuality. And he says, how dare you? You knew who I was. You knew what I required of you, and you chose not to invest this. You're out of here. You're done. In this case, you'd be cast into hell for the rest of your life. That's pretty heavy. I'm going, oh, Lord, you're not telling me. No, he's not telling you that. He's trying to make a point. 
The point is, it's a simple point. God gives you finances to invest. You need to be faithful in investing God's finances. It's, it's, it's as simple as that concept. He says, you have gifts and talents and abilities and understanding. And God expects you to use those, whether they're 10 or 5 or 3 or 1, in accordance with what he's given you. Use them appropriately. Invest them. Don't be frightened. Invest them. And God will ensure that you win. Now, this is the interesting thing. And I've seen this over and over in my life. And I'm getting older now. Okay, I just turned 62. So I'm getting older and I could have guy after guy up here who could come and share with you the same truth. And that's this. God will always make sure, even with your mistakes, that you're taken care of if you're committed to following his directives and using the finances. You know why? They're not my finances. It's not my money. It's God's money. I'm simply getting to use it. It's a wondrous wondrous opportunity I have to be used by God with my finances. And God says, Lee, I want you to invest the gifts that I've given you. However big they are, however small they are, be faithful, not fearful with my finances. Now, for both of these, the truth shared in this parable is very, very simple. It's a simple truth that we brought you out here, and that is that God is the owner of all you have. Say, God's the owner of all I have. I hope you believe that, because if you do... It'll change everything in your life. God's the owner of everything I have, but he chose you to manage it. That's how much God loves you. Say, I choose you to manage it. He said, you're more than capable. I choose you to manage it. I would not choose my son to manage my finances. Okay? Wouldn't happen. I go, no, 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 no. That'd have to be a word of God from heaven itself. Lee. Otherwise, not happening. But God turns to me and says, Lee, as inadequate as you are, as dumb as you are, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you to manage my finances. I went, wow, Lord, that's cool. He says, yeah, and I always have inside information. God always has inside information. And he decides what I need, when I need it, and how I need it. He says, you're to manage my finances. I will take care of you. And you must grab a hold of that principle. You're the manager. God's the owner. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're the manager. Yeah. You guys are remarkable. I look at this group of people and I go, there's a marvelous amount of money that God has provided here that he's invested in your life. You can make a huge difference in our community if you choose to allow God to simply be who he is. Is Chris around here? Did he come over here? Yes, he is. I'm going to ask Chris to come up. And he's going to share just a little bit about how it has affected his life when he discovered this simple principle that he was not the owner of his finances. Get that mic right there. Turn that. It's already on, it sounded like. Okay, you're good, buddy. I have no, no idea. Hey. Now, this is what happened. Chris changed from a greedy guy. I love, he's my son-in-law. You may not know, you know that. He's a greedy guy to a generous person. God changed his heart totally. 
He was set totally free as he began to understand that he didn't own anything. It was all God's. It wasn't his responsibility to hang on to ownership. It was his responsibility to manage it. Now, get this. Not only has his finances changed, Chris has gotten so good at this, I send all the young couples to Chris now. They come and talk to me, oh, Pastor Lee, how are we going to do this? I say, let me give you this number. (laughs) I want you to talk to this guy. And if you will do what he tells you to do, you will change everything. God will change everything. And they're like, really? And I said, absolutely. But if you don't, then nothing will happen. If you continue to do what you're doing now, you'll continue to receive what you're receiving now. You have to make a complete and total change. You have to say, God is the owner of all I have, and I'm the manager. Say that again. God is the owner of all I have, and I am the manager. If you can believe that truth, let it take place, you will be set free from money's grip. You'll be set free. And suddenly, you'll be able to live with your finances and your family. You'll find your faith growing. You'll find friends around you who are really your friends. And you'll find yourself going on a regular basis, Lord, I don't know how this is working, but it does. I get Bob Maybaum up here. He'd say the same thing. I don't know how it's working, but it does. The more I give, the more the Lord gives back for me to give more. And that's the principle that Jesus is trying to teach us. God owns everything. I am simply the manager of God's business. Now, God loves to reward faithful business managers. But I need you to get this next step, though, and that's this. God expects you to have a business plan. Now, some of you think, oh, I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to live life high and mighty. And I go, you did not read the scriptures. You did not understand something. God told me, now, Lee, you're the manager, and I expect you to have a business plan, Lee. Monday morning, show it to me. Show it to me. Uh, what, what? Yeah, I expect a budget. I expect cash flow. I expect you to show how they're supposed to get from here to here. I expect all those things to be laid out. And when they're all laid out, then I will take care of it. But you have a job. You're the what? Manager. I'm the manager. It's a difficult job at times, but a great job. Proverbs 21.5. God expects you to have a managing plan. It says the what? Was it the what? Plans of the diligent lead to what? Profit. As surely as haste leads to poverty. Ah, got to have a plan. Planning. Seeking God leads to prosperity, blessings, and profit. As surely as haste leads to poverty. So you need to have a simple plan. Take a quick step back here. I think, well... Yeah, I'm going to take a quick step back. Okay, we understand that God given us a business. And you start thinking according to God's business plan, the vision that he'll give you. He'll give you a vision in relationship to how you're supposed to manage the money that God provides you with. Okay? So let me give you a for instance. I'll throw a scenario out. So you find yourself and you get offered a job in a different city. And they said, we want you to move over to Anaheim. And we will pay you, we will pay you $120 extra a year. How many of you are moving? Good. Yeah. See, no, no, not happening. Okay. So they up it up a little bit and they said, okay, now instead of that, we will pay you $10,000 more a year. How many of you are moving? Okay. Getting better now. 
So he's saying, okay, we will pay you $25,000 a year, more than you're making now if you move to Anaheim. You guys are pretty good here. You know, you guys are you're going, I think you guys are either really tough to get to move or you understand the principle. Because the principle of this life is this. I no longer get to decide on the basis of what somebody's going to pay me. I had a brother ask me early on. I was in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I was ministering at a church there. And uh, we were getting ready to leave. We'd been about three and a half years. The church had grown. Some good stuff had happened. But I, I always felt that God had called me, given me a vision to plant a church. And he got to me and he said, Pastor, I just have one question. I said, what's that? He said, why does God always call pastors to a bigger church that pays more money? And I said, I don't know, because I'm going to a non-church that's not paying me anything. And he said, I believe you've been called. His point was this. Are we living according to the business plan that God has set before us, the vision that he's given us? Because if we're not, then we're loving money, not God. So I could turn and say here, you know, I, I got a call last night from a church that's off in Minnesota, and they said, Pastor, we'll offer you twice what you're making right now if you simply move next week. And so I want you guys to know, no, of course not. <laughs> not going to happen. You're not going to, you go, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I said, could I do that? Could I do that? No, I can do that. So she said, yes, he could. No, 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 no. I can't do that. Why not? Because it's not part of God's vision plan. It's not part of what Mary and I have done. In fact, Mary said she'd divorce me if I did something like that. <laughs> Minnesota, I'll visit my child in Minnesota. Where does God have for you? What's his intention for you? What is his plan for you? So loving God is the number one value of our business plan. That's the number one value of my business plan. That's why it's so different. I'm driven by the love of God, not by dollars. And that's the first part of the vision. God says, okay, if you love me, Lee, then lay out this plan. Who are you? What are your gifts? What are your abilities? How does that fit into what I want you to do? Mary and I recently downsized in terms of our home. We had a nice place here in Costa Mesa, about 2,000 square feet. And it's beautiful and a big yard and all this stuff. And we really liked it. It was a great place. and It was quiet. And, and we concluded, you know, Lord, we need to downsize a little bit because we don't need all four bedrooms anymore. And we don't want our kids coming back all the time. <laughs> what can I say? You know, the vision. Got the vision here. And I said, but Lord, we don't know what you want us to do because my wife is really good at hospitality, as you guys know. She's a fabulous cook, and she loves to have people in. And we've had people over to that place. We had such a good time and enjoyed that. We felt like God was using this place. And we're going, what are we going to do? And I said, I don't know, but I don't know too many condos that we can get everybody in. And we began to pray and ask the Lord what to do. And Jeremiah comes to me. He says, Pastor, I heard you're you know, looking for a place. Why don't you let me show you this place right over by me? Oh, okay. So he shows us the place. It's not up for sale yet. And, and he takes it into the place, and it was kind of dirty, and, you know, it wasn't really, I'm sorry, it wasn't much of a place. And I'm like, well, it's okay, I guess. And, and then he takes me out back, and he says, you've got to check this out. And I go, okay. And I've already decided, I'm not coming here. It's not happening. And you know, my wife's looking at me like. <laughs> so we go out the back steps. We go down. He says, you've got to see this. And we started walking into these, what now we recognize were prayer gardens. And we went to this one spot, and it was like, oh, wow, this is cool. And he's put all this stuff together. And went another, he put all these wonderful things together. Went another one. And then another one going, this is unbelievable. And I thought, but I don't want to take care of all this stuff. 
And we left, and Jeremiah said, what do you think? I said, oh, well, we kind of liked it, but, you know. And we basically forgot about the place. And then we began to look down by the ocean, because we're kind of ocean people, you know, Jackie knows that. And so we were down looking at the ocean, these little places there, and they're little tiny places, but they were kind of on there. And it was, we were like, yeah, yeah, maybe God will give us this. And, you know, Mary was, yeah, I've always prayed that I'd get to live right on the beach by the ocean. And, you know, we'd go, that's a vision, that's a vision. Come on, Lord, we've got a vision. And, and we're going, oh, and he got closer. It looked like that's going to happen, that's going to happen. Jeremiah said, I think we can make it happen. I think we can make it happen. We went through the whole thing, and, and then... The Lord changed it and said, no, 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 no. I want you to look at that place again. What do you want me to look at that place again for? I want you to look at that place. Jeremiah says, Lee, you need to come over and take a look at this place again. Pushy reeler. <laughs> and Mary said, okay. And we'd looked at a bunch of other places by then. Okay? So now we knew what you could get for the price we were looking at. We were going, this isn't good. And we'd come back and we looked at the place and we walked through it all again. And we went out to these marvelous gardens and went, I think maybe God is telling us something. He said, Jeremiah, I think this is the place. And so we ended up buying this marvelous place. Little condos, a thousand square feet, a little more than that, thousand eighty-six square feet. <laughs> and we had it all redone. The Lord gave us an appointment. So we have it all redone. It's just beautiful. And we're in there. But what it has, it's a condo in Costa Mesa where John got jealous. John came over to our house and he said, Pastor, I love you, but I'm jealous. You know, it, it, this beautiful prayer garden he's given us as we gather people over that we can have, enjoy the outside area and pray with them. And it's just incredible. And all this in Costa Mesa can't happen. It's impossible unless it's part of the vision plan that God has for you. Because you see, I don't own my finances. Mary doesn't own our finances. God owns everything. He's in charge, and he clarifies to us with a vision. He said, I need you to be involved in hospitality. I've given gifts and ability. I need to provide for you a special place so you can have people over and staff over so they can be ministered to, and that's why he gave us this place. Loving God is the number one value of this business plan. And so God tells you, what you're to buy, when you're to buy it, how you're supposed to buy it, and how you're going to buy it. God will tell you as you listen to his voice. And you're involved in the process of simply saying, God, I love you, and these things here show me what it is. You've got to have a vision for your finance. You've got to define the vision. You need to seek God as the ruling partner. And then instead of making selfish, financially motivated decisions, you start making decisions based on the vision that God has given you. I'm going to ask the band to come up because our time is kind of closing up together here. And I have so much more to share. We're going to be in this series now for the next three weeks. And your life will be changed as you understand all that God has for you. But you have You have to listen to God and begin to manage your finances in such a way that the difference is seen. The scripture says it like this. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter. And he's talking about debt. In relationship to debt, you need to free yourself like a gazelle. See what's going on here? That gazelle is light. It doesn't have anything holding it down. And it's getting out of the way. And that's what God is saying. You're being grabbed 
by the line of greed, because you've allowed yourself to be weighed down with debt, and you're going to go down, and it's not going to be pretty. And you're going to come to my office, and you're going to be crying. Oh, Pastor, I don't know what happened. You want me to show you what happened? I'll show you what happened. It won't take very long. I won't do that because I love you. And I just want to cry with you, and I feel bad for you. But what I really want to tell you is, okay, here's the finance series. Start listening. And the next thing I do every time I say, I want you to go over and talk to Chris Shergi. Yeah, <laughs> right, Ivy. And he will help you understand that God is in charge of your business. It will free you emotionally and spiritually, and you'll begin to understand what God has for you. Debt reduction is always better than profit expansion in your life. And you need to understand very simply that God desires to teach you how to be a proportionate giver. And I'm not going to get into that teaching right now because it's a wonderful understanding. We're going to go to it next week. We'll touch on it there and we'll begin to develop this thing. So some of you have outlines going, Pastor Lee, I'm not filling all the blanks. I know, it's okay. We're going to help you fill in the blanks next week in these things here. But God looks at each one of us simply in this way. He looks at what we keep, not what we give. God says, the vision that I've given you is so you can understand. I look at what, God, what is it that you want me to keep? Why do you want me to keep it? Where do you want me to give everything else so that you might build a kingdom on this earth through me? Man, how many of you want to be debt free? Some of you already are. The rest of you want to be. And I want to pray for you right now. So bow your heads. I'm going to pray for you. Father, We thank you so much that you are a God who owns everything and desires to pour into our lives. Not so that we can have more, but so that others might benefit from how you work in our lives and pour it out unto theirs. You want us to understand this wondrous truth that it's only in giving that we gain. It's only in dying that we live. And so, Lord, today, I'd ask that you might change the hearts and the minds of people here today about managing their wealth. That you would help them to overcome this debt-infected structure. And you'll teach them how to get away and set them free. Thank you, Lord, as you do it. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, last thought. Last thought, ABCs. Some of you people here, some of you, I know, I know most of you, there's a few of you that haven't come to the place where you've admitted that you're a sinner before God that you desperately need to believe. You desperately need to believe that Jesus can set you free from that sin. That he can remove the penalty of debt that you owe because of his death on the cross for you. And you haven't yet come to that place where you said, Lord Jesus, I just confess I need you as Lord and Savior. I don't understand what it is, but I ask today that you might come in and cleanse me from sin and give me new life as only you can. And if you haven't prayed that prayer, I encourage you, boy, do it now. Don't wait. Do it now. And then share with those around you that you've had that opportunity. And if you already know it, talk about other people, about the simple truth that Jesus can set you free. Father, thank you for this chance we've had today. Now, as we take a financial gift for you, take an offering, we've set aside these funds for you so you can use them to build your kingdom. Build it. Do marvelous things as only you can. Thank you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.